This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. Morning, New Song Church. How are you doing this morning? I'll try that again. How are you doing this morning, New Song Church? There you go. That's a lot better. I, uh, I'm going to be sitting today, as you can probably tell, maybe the sound of my voice, I sound a little funny. Uh, I've been a little under the weather this week, and uh, so we're going to pray for me in just a moment and uh, pray that I don't say anything heretical up here because I'm on some medicine right now. But, um, <laughs> but we're so glad that you are here with us. Isn't, isn't it great to be in God's presence in a room full of people who are chasing after the Lord, a room full of people? Look around, man. God has been good to us, and uh, I would tell you to move to first service, but it was just about as full as this one, and so um, you're going to need to either move to Saturday, or we're going to have to add a service soon, so anyway, we'll, uh, we'll figure that out, uh, but man, God has been so good. We've seen God doing so much. If you got your Bible, go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 3 and Luke chapter 4. Get your Being Transformed journals out. We're about to finish up the red and move into the periwinkle. You guys ready for that? Periwinkle, going to be good. You got your periwinkle journal. If you don't, make sure you grab that out in the lobby. Those are a great tool for you to help you to continue to grow and for us to all be on the same page as we look to the Word of God. As you're kind of getting your stuff together, getting ready to take some notes, uh, I want to update you on kind of where we are at. You know, we've seen God really just be so good to us over the past few months, and we've really seen Uh, recently this just increased in attendance. Like our our numbers have been the biggest they've ever been. In fact, last weekend, uh, we actually were so full, we had 40 people that had to sit in another room and watch the service, which we don't like that. I mean, it's great, but at the same time, uh, we want more room. And so many of you know, uh, we've been in this process really for the last year of seeking God and what is the next step for our church and uh, many of you know, we, there's, a piece, there's a building about a mile from here that we began the process of making an offer on, and then we moved into a 60-day due diligence period uh, where we were kind of looking. It's kind of like when you buy a house and you have that, that closing time where in between there you can kind of look and do some inspections and find out what's going on. So we've been kind of walking that out, and in the process of that, there's been a few things that have come up in this building uh, that are, are not really that great, some, some problems that have come up. And uh, basically has led to us being in a place where if we're going to continue to move ahead with this, with this space, um, we're going to have to ask them to renegotiate in the asking price on the building. Now, to this point, they haven't seemed very interested in that. And uh, if that is the case, you know, that's okay. Here's, here's what we find ourselves in right now. We are in a season of pause and pray. Pause and pray. And what we've seen over the past seven years, what I've discovered is that my plans... Uh, are not always God's plans. Anybody relate to that? And sometimes <laughs> we have our ways and then we discover that God has higher ways. And I'm glad he has higher ways. And so um, that's where we're at right now with this building. Um, it's kind of, again, it's kind of like if you're, if you're looking at a house and you put an offer in on a house and then in that discovery period, you discover there's some problems with the house. And in order for you to buy that house, something's gonna have to give. And so that's where we are. We as elders and as leaders have looked at this and prayed over this. And uh, we're going to go back to them this week and ask them to lower the price because if they don't, um, we would have to bring a whole lot more money to the table in purchasing this building. And if that's the case, we don't know that that's the building we want to do. So um, we're asking you to pray with us. And uh, here's what we want. We want God's ways, right? 
And sometimes, you know, God's ways lead to open doors and sometimes God's ways lead to closed doors. And so if this is a closed door, we welcome that. Like, Lord, slam it shut in our face. Let us clearly know because we know that you've got a good plan for our church. We know God's got this. Amen. You believe that? And, uh, and in the meantime, if, if that means we've got to be in this building a little bit longer than we thought we would, we, we know there's ways that we can make this work. We know there's services we can add and things we can do to make this work in the meantime. So whatever the case is, we know God's got our back, uh, but we're inviting you to be a part of praying with us in that season. Now, let me also say this. If you've given towards uh, the future home of New Song Church, and if you're currently giving towards the future home of New Song Church, I want to encourage you to continue to do that. All of that has, is, is set aside. We're not touching that. That's in a whole another account. And that will all still go towards the future home of New Song Church, whatever that may be, whether it's this building, whether it's going back to the land out in our 30 acres that we own, whatever the case may be, we know God's got it. All right. So let's, let's pray. In fact, let's pray right now. Sound good? All right, Lord, well, we come to you right now and we just invite you into this situation. And we thank you, Lord, that we serve a God whose ways are so much higher and better. And Lord, we know that you're a God of breakthrough, you're a God of miracles, and so we ask you to move in this area. Lord, if that's the building for us, Lord, we pray that nothing will be able to keep us from that. But Lord, if it's not, God, we pray that the door would close so that we can move ahead into what it is that you have for us. Lord, we pray for wisdom during this season, confidence in this season to know what to do. Lord, you're, you're the leader of this church, and so we put our confidence, our trust, and our hope in you and what you're doing. And we thank you for it. Lord, I thank you as we go into the word right now. Lord, first of all, I ask you to help me, strengthen me in my mortal body. Like like Sarah said last week, I recognize that I'm fragile too. And I need your strength today, Lord. Strengthen me, anoint me, help me to have clear thinking and clear mind. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to your people today. But this would not be about me. This would not be about me giving a word or me giving a talk, but this would be about the presence of the living, powerful God speaking a truth into the hearts and lives of people in this room. Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What lies beneath? Hey, students, how you doing this morning? I'm preaching at students this Wednesday. You guys ready for that? Come ready. Yeah, it's me. It's me. Get ready. Going to be good. <laughs> what lies beneath? We're, we're in a series right now where we're looking at the stuff beneath the stuff, right? We're inviting God into the inner areas, the inner workings, underneath the surfacey stuff that we, we sometimes try to display a certain image. We're kind of inviting God beneath that stuff into the, into the inner worlds of our thoughts, our feelings, our hopes, our emotions, because the desire is that we would be our authentic self with the Lord and our authentic self in the world, Right? And so today I want to talk to you along those lines. Now, if you missed last weekend, uh, Pastor Sarah, Pastor Sarah just did a great job. She won't look at me right now. Pastor Sarah, you did a great job. And uh, if you missed that message, make sure you go back and you listen to that message because it was really good. She laid a lot of foundation for where we're going to be going over the next eight weeks, put some definition to some things. So, so make sure you listen to that message because it really is so powerful. Uh, but today I want to continue by talking about your authentic self in Christ, who you are in Christ and what that really means. Now, as we jump into this this morning, I want to ask you a question. It's a true or false question kind of with a twist, all right? And it's based on a question that God asks to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 after sin entered into the world. So here's the question. Where are you? Where are you? Are you living today from your true self 
Or are you living today from the false self? Where are you, true or false? I'll never forget uh, pushing the button on an elevator and getting onto this elevator, getting ready to go up to the third floor of the church that I was working at at the time, the mega church that I had grown up in, to have a meeting with the pastor. I don't know why I was called into this meeting, but I knew that on the other side of this meeting was going to be probably a new reality for me in this church. What I didn't know is what that reality was going to look like. Now, let me catch you up a little bit on where I was at this time. This is the fall of 2004, almost 20 years ago. I was 24 years old at the time, working in the church that I had grown up in, this mega church. I was working in the youth ministry, a giant youth ministry. We had over 1,000 kids coming to this youth ministry. I was a youth pastor, not the youth pastor. The youth pastor was a guy that had been hired a couple months before, a new guy. Now, the guy who had been the youth pastor that I had served under, he'd moved into a different, a different area, and so they brought in this, this new guy. And to be honest with you, at 24 years old, I felt like I should be the one getting this job. I should be the guy in charge now. But they brought in this guy, and he was sweet. He was, you know, 40 years old and loved the, loved the teenagers, but, but he was new. And so because he was new, uh, everything that he was doing he was kind of running past me because I had been there. I was tenured. So he was running everything past me. So in a way, I felt like at this season that I was kind of running the, the youth ministry and yet not getting the credit for it. And I thought, you know, I'm a big deal. Like people need to recognize how big of a deal I really am. And so probably starting to notice some of the problems of 24-year-old Josh. Me and this guy, we, we shared the preaching duties, which meant that one, week he, one, one Wednesday he would preach, the next Wednesday I would preach. And uh, in my view, and what I thought everybody else was thinking was, man, Josh is a way better communicator than this guy. And so here's what I, I thought. Part of what I th thought going into this meeting is maybe, maybe this has finally been recognized. And maybe I'm getting ready to step into this meeting and the pastor's gonna say, Josh, you're the man for the job. We're making a change. I'm giving you the reins of this thing, and I want you to build this youth ministry and turn it into the biggest youth ministry in America. Maybe that is what this meeting is going to be about. Or, or maybe the jig is up. And maybe I'm about to step into a meeting and discover that the false life that I've been living, the false self, the hidden life that I've been trying to keep from everybody has been discovered. You see, at this time... I'm doing all this stuff and I'm portraying a certain image to the church and to a lot of people, but what people don't know is underneath all this, I have a problem. I have a, an addiction to pornography and it's dominating my life. And as, as hard as I try to keep it, it's, it's becoming more and more of a struggle for me to try to live out and hide and, and show what I want seen and hide what I don't want seen. And so maybe I'm about to step into this meeting and maybe... My whole world is about to blow up. Maybe everything that I put my confidence in, my trust in, my hope in is about to be discovered and I'm about to walk out of this meeting losing everything. And so the, the elevator dings, the doors open, I walk down the hall, I step into this meeting and it was indeed about the hidden life, the what lies beneath life that I was trying to hide. I was found out and I lost a lot that day. But what I discovered was what I really lost that day was the false self. What, what I was putting all my confidence in, all my hope in, that, that wasn't really the life that God had called me to. God had something better for me. 
And when I lost the false, I was able to find the true. And I was able to step into a real relationship with Jesus and step out of the things that had been dominating me into the life that God had called me to. When I stepped out of the false, I was able to grab a hold of the true. So my question for you again is, where are you today? Where do you find yourself? Are you living from the false self or are you living from your true self? Now, in order to understand this, we kind of have to understand what the false self looks like. So let me give you a little bit of a definition here of the false self. The false self, really, this is what the false self is. The false self is the fake self. It's, it's us appearing as we think important others want us to be. It's, it's the self of our own making, the self based on what I have, what I can do, and what others think of me. It's, it's the part of me that says, uh, that whispers to me, hey, don't let anyone know the real you, the, this other side of you, like that's the real you. And you need to keep that hidden away. You need to keep that covered up. You need to keep that out of view, cover that up and, and live and invent this new self for yourself that, ever, that you can portray, that you can display, that everybody can put their confidence in and think of that as you. And part of the problem with this false self is, is we get so tangled up in this image we're trying to display that we begin to lose track of who we really are. We don't recognize really who we are in Christ and who God's called us to be. And, it, and, and understand this, it's hard to connect to a real God when you're a fake you. It's really hard for the false version of you to connect with a real, living, loving God. And so what, what takes place is out of this, we kind of enter into this kind of spiral of, of false self where we live from these places of shame and fear and hiding and covering and, and trying to manipulate things and trying to keep a certain you know, image in this world. And it just continues to move us further and further into shame and fear and move us further and further away from a real life that God has called us to walk in. We get locked up and hidden away and we become this broken person. And it's not the life God's called us to. So, so what, what, what is this? Like, where does this come from? How do we deal with this? Well, in order to understand that, we kind of have to start with sin. Now, uh, what I've discovered is a lot of people, when it comes to sin, they really don't understand what sin is and what sin does. We have kind of an idea of what we think sin is, but the reality is we don't truly understand how sin affects us, what it does to us. So let me give you a definition of sin, all right? In, in, in the New Testament, the word sin is this Greek word harmatia. Somebody say harmatia. And it's a word that has a definition, but it also um, has a picture related to it, all right? So the definition of the word harmatia, sin, is to miss the mark. Uh, and the, the image or the picture of it is someone who's, who's shooting at a bullseye and missing the target completely, okay? So when you think about sin, think about it like from this perspective. Think of someone, an archer, who's going out there to shoot at a target, to shoot at a bullseye. They have a, they have a bow and an arrow. They pull back the bow. They release the arrow, and they miss. But they don't just miss the bullseye. They miss the target completely, Okay, so here's the problem. The problem is not with the target. The problem is not with the aim. The problem is with the arrow. The arrow is broken. The arrow is bent. And so no matter how hard you may try to get it to the, 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 the target, you, you never get there with this broken thing. This is, this is what sin is. This is a picture of what sin is. Sin is is us missing the mark, not because the desire is wrong, but because we're using the wrong method to try to get there. You know, a lot of the, the desires that we have that sin are born out of, they're not bad desires. 
It's just that we have the wrong means to try to get to the desire. There's something inside of us that wants a certain thing, but our means to try to get there is incorrect. So here's what happens. We try to meet deep needs by the wrong means, by, by sinful means, by wrong means. There's an interesting verse in Deuteronomy chapter 30. God is, is talking here and he says this. He says, this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you. In other words, he's saying, uh, what I'm about to sh share with you is a truth that everything will agree with. That, you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now look at this. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. Okay, so God says there's this choice in front of all of us. There's a choice between life, which I would categorize as good. How many of you would agree with that? Life is good. Or death, which I would categorize as being bad, right? Life or death. Blessing, again, I'd categorize that as good. Or curses, I would categorize that as bad. You, you follow me? So in a way, this feels like the easiest multiple choice question in, in history, right? Like who's going to choose death? Who's going to choose curses? And yet God goes out of his way to then say, now, in other words, right now, choose life. So you know what that tells me? The fact that God gives us this, this choice that seems so obvious and then gives us the obvious answer tells me that maybe it's not as obvious as we think. That maybe, that tells me sometimes I think death can look a lot like life. Sometimes the bit arrow, for whatever reason, it looks like the one that we need to pick up and the one that we need to fire. So here's what happens. We're grasping for what we think is life when in reality, we think it's truth, but in reality, it's false. And, and the reason we reach for the false is we're deceived by not understanding what the truth is. What does the Bible say? It says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Some of us aren't free because we just don't really know the truth. So let's, let's go back to Genesis 3 where I had you turn and let's look at where this kind of, this whole thing started, this missing the mark stuff started, all right? Genesis chapter three, let me remind you what's going on here. Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. They're in this perfect place. They've got a perfect connection with God. There's no sin in the world at this point. So they have perfect joy, perfect peace, perfect relationship. They are covered and clothed in the love of God, walking with him daily, each and every day. They're in this amazing place and the enemy the serpent, the deceiver, comes at them. Verse one, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals. In other words, he's tricky. He's deceiving. He said, uh, the Lord God, that the Lord God made, he said to the woman, did God really say? Did God really say? In other words, he starts off, notice this, where he starts off when he begins to attack a child of God covered in the love of God as he begins to attack them in the area of their thoughts, in their mind, on the battlefield of our thoughts. And he begins to come against them and begin to get them to question whether or not the God they serve is who they really think he is. He begins to start to mess with them. Is God really who you think he is? Did God really say you must not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, this is interesting. And you see how he begins to chip away at, at their image of God and how they relate to God in his deception. He begins to twist things. He begins to manipulate things. He begins to start to, to work them to not see this the right way. He starts off by saying, did God really say don't eat from any tree in the garden of Eden? Now, did God say that? Yes, but, but when God said that in Genesis 2, that's not how God led it. Genesis 2, verse 16, God talking about this. He says, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. In other words, you got lots of choices. He starts off by saying, hey, you're free to eat. Eat up. There's lots of options. I've given you, I've built, I've built a beautiful place for you, an amazing place for you. And there's lots of options. 
And he says, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God doesn't start off by just saying, just don't eat. He starts off by saying, eat up. I got lots of options for you. I've created a beautiful place for you and I want you to enjoy it fully. Just don't do this. So, so notice how, how the enemy starts off. He, he starts to make this generous God look like a stingy one. He starts to make this God who's broad and who has lots of options look like one who's narrow and doesn't have very many options for us. He's beginning to attack Eve and her perception of who God is, painting a picture of her of a false God because he knows if he can lead her to, to believing in a false God, he can lead her to believing and living from the false self. See, this is how the enemy works. A lot of times in our life, he doesn't come to us with just bald-faced lies and outright stuff. Like he doesn't come to you and say, hey man, Jesus hates you. Jesus hates you and he wants to murder you. Like he doesn't do that. You know why? Because we would see past that. So what does he do? He comes at us and it's just little tiny things that he does. In fact, it's interesting how he refers to God in, the, in these verses here. All throughout Genesis 2, when it talks about God, he's referred to as the Lord God or, or Yahweh Elohim. Elohim being the personal name of God, the name that God gives to, to, to Abraham and, and to the children of Israel, Elohim God. But when, when Satan refers to him, he just refers to him as Elohim. He takes away the Yahweh, the personal part of it. It's kind of like if you were to talk about your dad and you would call your dad sir instead of father or dad. It's... it's it's, it's somewhat appropriate, it's respectful, but it totally depersonalizes God. So you see what he's doing? He's chipping away at this image of who God is and how God wants to relate to Eve in this moment. He's stripping away intimacy. And this is how the devil works. Verse two, the woman said to the serpent, the serpent, we may eat from the tree in the garden. So, so far so good. But God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And then look at what he says here. And you must not touch it or you will die. Now, in Genesis 2, God says nothing about don't touch it. So she's adding to the word of the Lord. Why is she adding to the word of the Lord? Because she doesn't really know it. See, when God gave the word, the command to not eat of the tree in Genesis 2, Eve wasn't on the scene yet. So she has secondhand news. In other words, she doesn't know the word of the Lord for herself and she's had plenty of opportunities. She's been able to walk with the Lord in the cool of the day, just like Adam has. But she's never taken the time to ask God and really get the word of the Lord for herself. And here's what I want you to see. Not knowing the word of the Lord for yourself can hurt you. Not knowing the word of the Lord for yourself can lead to the false life. Listen, don't just take my word for it. I want you to get into the word for yourself. Study the word, know the word. Let God speak to you through his word. Verse four, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. And now he begins to attack not only the word of the Lord, but the integrity of the God that they serve. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So he's not just attacking the word. Now he's attacking who God is. He's saying, Eve, listen, you got it all wrong. God's lying to you. This God, he ain't, he ain't, he ain't who you think he is. And, and actually, if you disobey him, your life is going to be better. He's actually a killjoy that's keeping you from something. And for the first time in human history, we have the first historical case of FOMO. <laughs> Fear of missing out. Eve begins to wonder, what if I'm missing out? What if there's something else that I'm missing out on? What if God is keeping me from something? 
Verse six, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. Now, how did she saw that? Here's how she saw it. She saw it up here. She heard a lie. She believed a lie. And she got an image of life based on the lie. The lie became truth to her. And so she began to see her life projected through the lie. So she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Notice Adam was there the whole time, guys. The whole time this is going on. This isn't just the temptation of Eve. This is the temptation of Eve with Adam standing there silently saying nothing. So to all the people who have said through the years, if, if the woman wouldn't have eaten the fruit, listen, the dude was right there the whole time. At any moment, he could have spoken up and said, hey, this is not true. God never said, don't touch it. He didn't say that. This guy's lying to you. Don't listen to this snake. He's a serpent. He's lying to you. But he doesn't do that. What does he do? He ate it. He ate the fruit too. Now, here's what's interesting here. I don't know if you caught this, but, but throughout this interaction that's taking place between the serpent who's deceiving and, and Eve and Adam, and there's never one occasion where the serpent says, hey, eat the fruit. He never says, hey, see that? See that apple or that fig, whatever it was? We don't really know. See that? That looks good. You should eat that. He never says that. You know why? Because that's not how Satan works. The Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. He, he's not the father of like immoral behavior. He lies to you. And, and from the lie, it leads to the immoral behavior. He gets you to, to saw your life through the lie. And then from the place of sawing your life through the lie, you begin to believe the lie and then you act on the lie. Here's what I want you to see. Every sin we struggle with is rooted in a lie that we are believing. Every sin that you are struggling with in your life is rooted in a lie that you have begun to believe and project it and you see your life through the lens of that lie. And out of that comes the behaviors that hurt us and lead us away from the Lord. Verse seven, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So look at this, they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden of the cool of the day, something that took place all the time. And this is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. It says, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. They had no reason to hide. Like God's never hurt them. He's been nothing but good to them and yet they're hiding from him. Why? Because they're believing a lie. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? The question of the day, where are you? He answered, Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Adam and Eve realized that they were naked. They realized that they were exposed. And so for the first time ever, people begin to start to live out of the false self. What do they do? They start to hide the parts of themselves they don't want seen, covering with fig leaves, displaying the parts of themselves they, they do want seen. Out of shame, they, they hide. And then out of fear, they hide from the Lord, completely trying to cover up from the Lord. It says they sewed fig leaves together. This is like false self 101 right here. This is the world's first ever attempt to, to put forth a controlled public image where we can control the narrative of how people see us, how people per perceive who we are and what we're all about. We display a false self. Why? Because we listen to a lie, we believe a lie, and then we act based on the lie. 
And out of this comes shame. Now, if you were here last week, Pastor Sarah talked about how, how shame is, is kind of this acronym for shame, right? You remember that? Shame is should have mastered everything. Let me take it a step further. Part of the problem with shame is that shame leads to an identity rooted in it. See, there, there's guilt, which is guilt is like, man, I messed up. And then there's shame, which is I'm messed up. Guilt says, I, I did something wrong. Shame says, I am something wrong. And what Adam and Eve did is what a lot of us do. Motivated by shame and fear, we begin to cultivate a new identity based on our mistakes. A false identity, a false self. And one of the major problems with this false self, this false living life, is that it kind of works. Like at least temporarily, it kind of works. Adam and Eve did something wrong, and then they realized they had a problem. They felt exposed. So they, what they do, they begin to look into the world and say, what can I reach into the world and grab that I can cover up with that can make me feel better about these areas in my life that feel a little bit off? For them, it was fig leaves. For us, it can be any number of things. It could be the next fix that helps us to escape from the moment. It could be a compliment that we're trying to get from a certain person or, or being noticed by this certain person that makes us feel like we're doing a little bit better. It could be a post that we try to, we try to create on social media that makes everybody think our marriage is so good or our life is so amazing or uh, in, our, in our be real, real, we kind of make something that ain't real at all, but it looks real like this is what I'm doing right now. It's amazing. We try to cultivate this, this image of ourself. We, it may be future plans that we have. Someday we'll go here. Someday we'll go on this vacation. We'll do this. And it helps me to not have to think about where I'm at right now that I don't like being right now. It may be a game that we play, a website that we visit, a show that we watch, music we escape to, a job that we bury ourselves in, toys that we try to mask our, our hurt with, stuff like boats and cars and RVs and vacation homes that we can, we can kind of get this stuff. And if I put enough stuff, it covers up the fact that there's some stuff wrong with me that I don't want anyone to know about. It's anything that I grab with my hands and I try to pull from this world to try to cover up the shame that I feel, the fear that I feel, so I can project a life that I want people to see. And it can work for a while. But the problem with all this stuff we try to cover up with is the same problem that Adam and Eve found when they pulled fig leaves. The moment that you pull the stuff out of the world and begin to cover up with it, what happens? Those fig leaves begin to die and wither and dry up. And they may have covered for a while, but over time, they fade away and they cannot cover you anymore. The same way, all the stuff that we reach into this world to try to cover up the shame and the fear and the stuff that we're dealing with, it begins to die and wither and it's never enough. And so we reach further and further into the world. We reach further and further into extremes to try to find something to cover us up. And by hiding and, and dressing up to try to protect ourselves from, from pain, we're not really protecting ourselves from pain. We're actually hiding ourselves from the love of God. And let me just tell you, my friends, that is the key to stepping out of this cycle of the false self, is coming to realize the love of God for you so that you can step out of the bushes and say, here I am with all of the ugliness of my life. Here I am. Ephesians 3, Paul talks about this prayer that he has for the church. It's interesting because Paul is writing, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, 
So this is the word of God. Remember, it's Paul writing it, but it's God writing through him. So really, you could say this, this prayer that he prays is a prayer that God would pray for us. He says this in verse 17, I pray that love may be the ground into which you sink your roots and on which you have your foundation. Why? Because the love of God is the key to you living out your true life, your true self. In 1 John, we're told that God is love, right? And then it goes on to say that, that perfect love casts out fear. There's no fear in love, but for perfect love casts out fear. See, it's the fear within us. It's the shame within us that causes us to hide and feel shame and try to project a certain image. And that fear is rooted in a lack of revelation and how much God actually loves us. So what happens is we don't feel loved, so we go looking for love. We don't feel accepted because we don't feel loved. And so we go looking for acceptance in things in this world. We don't feel seen because we really don't feel loved. And so we go looking for ways to be seen. We don't feel valued because we don't feel loved. And so we go looking for things in this world to find value in. And the further we dig into this stuff, the further we, we miss the mark. Because see, the problem is not with the target. Listen, the target of wanting to feel loved is not wrong. It's the arrow that's broken. We're trying to reach a godly desire through manly means and it just doesn't work. The world cannot give you what God offers you. You can't find it. And so what happens is we reach and we don't grab and so we grab further and further and we move further and further into the things of this world, further and further into ways of sin and out of that, then the enemy comes along and he says, man, look at you. Look at how ugly you are. Look at how terrible you are. You're so bad. You're so, man, if people only knew the real you, oh my gosh, you better hide. You better keep this from everybody. You better not let anybody see this because, because if they see the real you, how ugly you really are, no one will want you. And so we move further and further and we keep grasping and covering and grasping and covering and grasping and covering and trying to find ways because of lies that we're believing to, to hide ourselves. But I have good news for you this morning. It's really good news. You don't have to live in this false self cycle. Jesus made it possible for you to step out of the false life and live into true life that is found in him. Jesus talking about who he was and actually talking about who the devil was. And John 10, 10 says this. He says, the thief, that's talking about the serpent. That's, that's Satan, that's the devil. The thief comes only but to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what all the stuff he tries to sell you on in this world is designed to do. It's designed to steal, kill, and destroy. It's designed to steal from you the purpose God has from you to kill you and ultimately destroy your life, wreck your life and keep you from the true life that God has for you. But Jesus says what? He says, I have come that you may have life and you may have it to the full. God wants you to have life. And so Jesus came and he died on the cross so that you could have life. The truth came, Jesus, the way, the truth and the life came so that you could step into real truth and encounter God and live out of your true self, the life God has called you to. So your sins could be forgiven. So you could move from living from the false self to living into your true self in him. Colossians 3.3 talks about what happens when we receive the life of Jesus. It says, for you died to this life. Listen, when you made Jesus the Lord of your life, you died to the things of this world. And your real life, your true life, your, your, your true self is hidden with Christ in God. The real you, the you you were created to be, your true self is the you that is hidden with Christ in God. And any life that you try to live outside of Jesus is a false life. And it's always gonna lead to fear 
and to shame and to brokenness and to a cycle of the false self. But when you accept the work of what Jesus has done and you receive salvation through Jesus, the identity of Jesus becomes your true identity. That's good news this morning, church. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. New creature means this. It means, number one, you have been restored to your factory settings. You are the, the, the person God created you to be from the beginning. You get to step into that. The second thing is you have some, the same benefits that Jesus walked with. You have position in the kingdom. You're a part of the family of God. You have access to God. You have provision through God. You have relationship with God. All of that's available to you now because you're a child of God, and you are a new creature. The past has passed away because of what Jesus has done. So I know this may seem kind of like hard to wrap your, your brain around this idea, but the truth is this. If Jesus is the Lord of your life, what God says about Jesus is what God says about you. Galatians 3.26 says, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. You're a child of God. You're a daughter of the King. You're a son of the living God. Through faith, for as many as you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You put on his identity. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female. In other words, we all come to God on equal footing. For you are all one in Christ. And you're so one in Christ Jesus. You're so hidden in Christ that according to scripture, everything that is true about Jesus is now true about you. That's your true identity in Christ Jesus. Yes, you're forgiven. You're accepted. You have a place in the family of God. You're a child of God. That's your identity in Christ Jesus. It may not be the reality that you feel like you're living into, but on a spiritual level, which is who you really are, you are a spirit being, that's who you are. And now we're living out from this new born again spirit that we've received through Jesus. We're living out everything. We're living out our salvation from that place into our emotions, into our feelings, into all the stuff that lies beneath. So how do we do this? How do we live into our true self? Ephesians 4.22 says this, throw off your old sinful nature and your formal way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. In other words, quit grasping at broken arrows. Quit trying to cover up in fig leaves. Don't, don't try to steal from the world what Jesus offers you freely. Verse 23, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. I love that. It's talking about the Holy Spirit, what he wants to do. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is your advocate. That means he provides comfort through reliable truth. So here's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to come alongside you in life, and he wants to give you reliable truth based on who you are in Christ Jesus. So when Satan comes to you and he says, man, you are a loser. You are worthless. You are no good. You are your sin. You are what they said about you. You are what they did to you. You are what you did in the past. The Holy Spirit comes to you and says, no, 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 you're forgiven. You're accepted. God loves you. You're a child of God. Come back to God. Keep returning to Jesus. Return to Jesus. He's got something for you. Don't turn away from God. Run to God. That's the Holy Spirit's role in your life. And good fruit is born out of that reality. Good fruit comes out of that reality that I am accepted and I am loved and I am a child of God comes out of that. It goes on to say, verse 24, put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Paul says, you have a choice. You have a choice, life or death, blessed life, blessings or curses, true 
or false. Jesus gives us a, a really amazing picture of this in Luke chapter 4, of what it means to live out of your true identity in, in God. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is getting ready to go into the wilderness. He's going to be in the wilderness fasting without food for 40 days. No food, no water for 40 days. And he will be tempted by the devil himself during this time. Now, prior to going into this moment, he's baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And if you remember, he comes out of the water and a voice from heaven, the voice of God, speaks over him and says, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So God says, he's mine, he's loved and I'm pleased. He's mine, he's loved, and I'm pleased. Now let me remind you, at this point, Jesus is 30 years old, and all of the Messiah stuff that he's gonna do, he hasn't done yet. He hasn't healed anybody yet at this moment. He hasn't done any miracles. No, no blind eyes have been opened. No deaf ears have been, have been opened. He hasn't walked on water. He hasn't turned uh, and multiplied food. He hasn't, he hasn't done any of that stuff yet. He hasn't even preached or taught a single message and, and, and it's from that place that God says, he's mine, he's loved, I'm pleased. In other words, God says this, it's not what you do or what you've done that makes me pleased with you, that makes me love you, that makes me call you mine. It's the fact that you're mine that makes me love you and makes me pleased with you. And so right out of this, the enemy comes at Satan and begins to try to sell him on this false identity. This false way of living tries to convince him to live for something else. And he comes at him with these three lies. He says, you are what you do or have done. You are what you have and you are what other people think. Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? It's the same place he runs against all of us to try to get us to buy into another version of identity rather than that of being a child of God who God is pleased with, not because we've done really good, but because we simply belong to God. Look at this, verse one. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if, notice this, if you are the son of God, God just told him that you're my son. And the enemy immediately begins to attack that. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. In other words, who you are is based on what you do. Jesus, you're the Messiah, do something. Prove it. Prove your worth. Show these people what you're made of. You're supposed to be the Messiah? Okay, show them what you're made of. This is how he works in our life. But Jesus is so firmly rooted in the truth of who he is, he doesn't buy the lie. It says in verse four, and Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Next temptation, verse five, and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I can give it to whom I will if, if you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Here's the second temptation to move him away from his identity in the Father. It's the temptation that who you are is based on what you have. Jesus, you're 30 years old. What do you have? You got nothing. You got nothing. You got nothing to show for. But I can give you everything. I've got everything and I can give you everything. If you'll bow down and worship me, if you'll do things my way, I can give you stuff, and that's, in that stuff, you're gonna find value. Sound familiar? But Jesus is so firmly rooted in his identity in God, he doesn't fall for it. Verse eight, and Jesus answered him, it is written, 
You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Next temptation, verse 9. And he took him to Jerusalem and sat him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. If you are the Son of God. Jesus, see all these people down here. Why don't you jump off and then call the angels and they'll catch you. And all these people will see it. And man, they'll be so impressed. You're the Messiah after all. Do this. They'll know who you are. And then they'll know your name and you'll be great in their eyes and they'll accept you and they'll want you. And you won't have to go to the cross. You can do this a whole nother way. Verse 12, and Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Jesus was so firmly rooted in the fact that he's a son, he's loved, and God's already pleased that he's not looking to please anyone else. He's rooted in that truth. Here's what I want you to see today. All I'm trying to say today is this. There is a God who loves you. Man, he loves you. Loves you so much. He sent his son Jesus to come and to die on the cross to make a way for you today. He loves you. But, but what we do is we believe lies and we live in this world where we, we try to cover and hide. And, and, and in our covering, we keep ourselves from the love of God. And if you're gonna move out of where you are in the false self to who God's called you to be in the true self, you have to answer the call when Jesus says, where are you? And you have to step out of the hiding, out of the bushes and expose yourself for who you really are. And who are you really? You are loved. And yes, you may have some stuff in your life that's a mess, but when you come to recognize you are loved, that's your, listen, your truest identity is you are loved by God. See, when I, when I got to the end of myself, when I found myself with all of this stuff that I had covered myself up with, that I was going, this is my life. This is who I am. This is where I find identity. This is where I find purpose. This is where I find value. When all of that stuff fell away and I was exposed, it was from that moment that I turned to the Lord and I said, God, I got nothing and my ways don't work anyways. And I surrender to you. It was from that moment that I began to step into the love of God, into a real relationship with this living, loving God. And he began to rescue me and pull me out of the mess I was in and into an incredible new reality. Where are you today? Are you living from the true self? Or are you living in the false self? Are, are you... Are you grabbing fig leaves? Are you grabbing stuff in this world and trying to cover up? Are you firing off all these broken arrows trying to arrive at the love and acceptance of the world when really what you're looking for is the love and acceptance of God that's already offered to you if you'll just receive it? Where are you today? You have an identity and your truest identity is that of a loved one of God. He loves you. And if you're in Christ, man, let me just tell you, you, you belong to God. That's such good news. You belong to God. You are loved. Why? Because God is love. And he's pleased with you. And he's not pleased with you because you've nailed it perfectly, because you won't. He's pleased with you because you can put on Christ and Jesus nailed it perfectly. 
He did perfectly. He lived perfectly. And he died a perfect death in your place so that you could cover yourself in his righteousness and live out your true identity in him. Today, God places before you life and death, blessing and cursing, true or false. My friends, choose life. Choose the blessing of God. Choose truth today. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord God, we come to you today and we thank you that we serve a loving God. And we thank you that you call us out of our brokenness and that when you look at us today, you don't see us in our brokenness, that you can see us through the lens of the work of Jesus Christ. We're so grateful. So grateful that God, you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to make a way. And Lord, your your will is for us to walk in the freedom that you offer us, to know the truth and to be free. So Lord, if if we've been living in this false self, God, I pray that you would expose that to us today. Lord, those areas where we have reached into this world and tried to grab of this, these fig leaves that are withering away that cannot truly cover us, I pray that you would help us to see where we're grasping for fig leaves. I pray that you would help us to see where we're picking up these arrows that are broken and bent and will never arrive. Help us to see those things, Lord, and help us to lay all of that down and to take up you, who we are in you, who we are in Christ Jesus. Lord, that's our true identity. We are loved. In fact, just right there under your breath, I want you to say, I am loved. There is a God who loves you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us like you do. We love you, Lord. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. I want to invite our our prayer team to come down. If you're here today and you have a prayer need, we would love to pray with you. And I want to encourage you to not check out. I know that, you know, this is kind of the time sometimes in a church service when you kind of are like, okay, start checking out, thinking about the next thing. Don't do that right now. Stay connected because I believe God wants to minister to you today. Maybe you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. Maybe you've drifted away from the Lord. You know you're not where you need to be with God today and you wanna be right with God. If that's you today, listen, you can't live into your true self when when the reality is your true self right now is dead. Because if if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, on a spiritual level, you're dead. So you can't live a life with a dead person. But Jesus offers you a new life. You can be born again. You can receive a brand new born again spirit. And from that spirit, now you can begin to live out the life. You can begin to work out what the Bible calls work out your salvation. Work work out what God, this perfect work that he's done in your spirit, you begin to work it out into everything else in your life. But it starts by truly just coming to the Lord saying, Lord, I'm a mess. Stepping out of the bushes and saying, Lord, I need help. I I need your freedom. I come to you right now and I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. If that's you today, I want to encourage you, don't leave today without knowing that you're right with God. We'd love to pray with you over that. Maybe you're here today and you've got an area in your life where you've been bound up. You've been firing off some broken arrows and you're bound by those broken arrows. You're, you're similar to where I was. You've, you've created this false life that you're living from and you know that it's, it's false and you want to step into the truth. We'd love to pray with you over that today. Maybe you've, you've believed some lies. You've believed some lies based on what people have said about you. Maybe from your childhood, maybe things that happened to you, maybe things that were done, but there's been stuff that you've become to believe and you live out of that. And it's become your reality, but it's a false reality. God offers you a greater reality, a truth that can set you free.
Wherever you find yourself today, I want you to know if it matters to you, it matters to God. And I believe God wants to do a healing work in some lives today. I believe he wants some of you to step out of this place today being truly free, truly free, walking in the, in the, in the real you that God created you to be, the you that is covered in the love and grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you're dealing with sickness or a mind battle or you're dealing with emotions, whatever the case may be. I want you to know if it matters to you, it matters to God. And we'd love to pray with you today. So if that's you today, don't leave without receiving prayer. Come down, we'd love to pray with you. I'm gonna invite you to stand if you would. And if that's you, you need prayer, go ahead and start making your way out. And I wanna encourage you, be the one who leads the way. <laughs> like be the one who's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step out. I know it's me, I know God's talking to me. I'm gonna step out, I'm gonna receive what God wants to say to me today, what God wants to do in my life. I need healing, I need freedom, I need change. I need something's gotta give and I'm gonna, I'm gonna step out in faith. If that's you, man, let's step out, receive prayer today. There's nothing, listen, we all need prayer. We all need prayer. So don't be afraid to step out and receive. And if not, if you don't need prayer today, if you don't feel God calling you down to receive prayer today, I wanna encourage you, let's worship the Lord. Let's end this service worshiping this incredible God who loves you so greatly, right? Let's worship him. Let's lift our hands and lift our voices and exalt the one who made it possible for us to step into true life. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. We're so grateful, Lord Jesus, for all you've done for us. Grateful for the life that you offer us. Come on, church, lift your hands up. Let the Lord know. Tell him how much he means to you. God, we love you. You're so good. You're so gracious. You're so sweet and precious. Thank you for the life that you offer me. Thank you for the work that you've done for me, God. We worship you and praise you and exalt you. Lord, and I pray if there's anyone in this room anyone in this room who needs prayer today, I pray that you would embolden them in faith to step out to receive what you have for them today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.